grab a seat. people, we are prone to wander. Our minds wander, might be wandering right now uh, somewhere else. Our hearts wander. Um, When it comes to our relationship with God, we wander. The same is true. We have a tendency to wander. On a certain level, uh, if you think about that, it, it doesn't really make sense, right? How crazy is it that we would wander from the God who is all knowing, who is all powerful, who is all present, the God who loves us, the God who sustains us, the God who invites us to draw near to him. Our tendency is to wander away from him. And so the question is, why? Why do we do that? Why do we wander from the Lord? Why again and again do we turn to other things in our life? People have always struggled with that reality. That's a question as old as... um, humanity itself. In the book of Joel, we encounter a people who are prone to wander. They're God's people. It's Israel. And they, like us, are wanderers. Their capricious hearts lead them away from the Lord. And it's to those wandering people that God the Father calls out. A reading that we just heard from Joel, he says this. He says, yet even now, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. Return to me, says the Lord. This is the call of Lent. Lent is an invitation to return. It's a season when our wandering hearts are invited back from a season of being road-weary, of of allowing the things of the world to potentially harden our hearts. And, And the hope, the prayer, the desire is that in this season that we intentionally come before the Lord, we ask him to rend our hearts, to to literally to crack them open that they might be healed. And so today I want us to hear these words from Joel and consider them as a three-part invitation from the Lord this Lent. That over the next 40 days, we receive his invitation first to rend our hearts, second to pray and fast, and then third to return to the Lord. So first, um, that we would rend our hearts. Uh, Our wandering problem is ultimately a heart problem. And when we say uh, heart, we're not just talking about what we feel or our emotions. We're talking about all of us. That's how the Bible uses this idea of heart. Our heart is symbolic for all of who we are. It's our soul. It's our heart. It's everything that we are. And it's here in the deepest part of who we are that our wandering is rooted. So God's returning invitation, this return to me, when he says that, he's speaking to our hearts. But what does it mean to rend your hearts? Rend means to tear, to split, uh, to break apart. 
One writer described the rending of the heart um, like radical heart surgery. He says this. He says, to rend is to cut deeply, to search the recesses of the heart, to search the abominations therein, so that what pours out before the Lord is the disease, the perilous stuff that's been pent up and festering within us. To rend the heart is to expel the evil thoughts lodged within it and to open it in all things to the reception of God's divine grace. To rend the heart, then, is the deepest spiritual work that one can do. A heart that has been rent is the heart that we encounter in Psalms like Psalm 51, which we'll read in just a moment. A heart broken, a heart contrite, a heart that looks honestly within and knows the deep, genuine sorrow of the sin that's found there. And so this is what we're asking the Holy Spirit to do in in the season of Lent. We're asking the Holy Spirit to do this deep heart work in us, to crack our hearts open so all the the pride and and the anger and and the lust and the despair, all of that can come pouring out. It's a relief, right? It's a release. Lent is not, as we so often think about, this kind of burdensome ritual or constraint. It's actually freedom. It's a time to be released from the toxic, cancerous sin that lurks within our own hearts. And so all of us have this within us. All of us are prone to wander. All of that is rooted in our hearts. And so maybe today your heart is wandering. Maybe your heart's wandering because you have fears about your future. The invitation of Lent is come to the Lord and confess. Confess that you're afraid. Confess to him that you're struggling to trust him. Maybe your heart today is wandering because you struggle with your marriage or an important relationship in your life. The invitation of Lent is to rend your hearts and confess within you your own pride and your selfishness in that relationship. Maybe your heart is hard. Maybe you feel apathetic. Maybe even now as you're sitting here you feel this coldness, this strange coldness in a part of your heart to the Lord. And I want us to be encouraged. Lent is a reminder that no heart is too hard for the Lord. No heart is beyond being broken by the Lord. And so if you don't know how to begin in this process of rending your heart, I would say begin there. Just ask the Lord to soften your heart. Whatever the reason, whatever's caused us to wander, the first step, the first invitation is to rend our hearts. So second is to fast and pray. Second invitation of Lent is to fast and pray. Just uh, here in these words, a few words, Joel calls us um, not only to rend our hearts, but he exhorts the people of God to fast, uh, to weep, and to mourn. These outward acts, um, these spiritual practices, in other words, that he invites the people of God to consider. And it's important because our outward acts, these spiritual disciplines, we could call them, are deeply connected with what's going on within our hearts. For example, fasting, uh, actually, it it addresses the issue of our will, right? It strengthens our will like a muscle. It helps us practice saying no to a physical desire and yes to God. And if we can cultivate that with small things like food, I think what happens is it helps us with the big things in our life. So 
In other words, if you're having a hard time combating that urge to have a big bowl of ice cream at 9 p.m., right? If that's really difficult for you to say no to, how much more difficult will it be when you face greater temptation, when you face the temptation of pornography or you face the temptation to speak that juicy bit of gossip about someone else in your life? You see, fasting helps cultivate this understanding of, of the power of the will and the submission of the will to God and his desires for us, even over our own desires. And the reality is that if we have uh, no capacity to say no to little things that bring us great pleasure, how much more difficult will it be to say no to things that bring us great pleasure? It may seem a little bit strange and foreign to us, however, to, to connect something like fasting, an outward act, to the reality of our hearts, like what we actually experience and how we might be transformed in our hearts. Because I think we have a tendency to separate the physical and the spiritual world. We think of them as two separate spheres that maybe bump into each other every once in a while, but really they're two separate worlds. But God didn't create two worlds. He created one. And I think this is a great gift to us as followers of Jesus, that we aren't fragmented people, that we're, we're whole people. And so that means what we do with our bodies really matters. We can abuse our bodies or we can honor God with our bodies. And so practices like fasting and prayer can help us to reintegrate what so often is fragmented. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. These, these kind of outward practices like fasting and silence and meditation and prayer can all do this deep work of softening our hearts if we let them, of turning our hearts away from the things that compete for our attention with God and turning them back to the Lord himself. We can, we can become more sensitive, in other words, and attuned to his heart and his desires and his love for us. And so this Lent, I want to invite you to, to consider taking up some of these practices, maybe taking up the practice of fasting or of prayer. And during that time when you might be eating lunch, uh, maybe once a week, just set aside that time uh, to pray, to seek the Lord. Maybe you can use something like Psalm 51 and just read through that psalm uh, during the time you'd re regularly be eating. And just be intentional about that. Be intentional about what we do with our bodies. And what I would say is this is, a, this is a cumulative effect thing, right? So you may not feel anything right away other than, and I'm hungry. <laughs> but trust that the Holy Spirit's at work in this process, that over time, like drips in a bucket, there's a cumulative effect that when we bring our bodies to the Lord and recognize that, that our bodies are deeply connected to our hearts, that God actually will be at work to shape our hearts through those disciplines. So I encourage you to take these practices up and be intentional about these things that shape our lives and shape our hearts. And I'll ask the Holy Spirit to use these actions in your life to draw you near to him. So that's the second thing, fast and pray. And then third is just this invitation to return to the Lord. It's a powerful invitation. It shows us so much of the heart of God, that this is his call to his people who have wandered. It's an invitation to return. It says return to him. I think there's a danger during Lent to think that things like fasting are things that we do to kind of earn God's favor, right? If we do these things, we check these boxes, then God will somehow be more pleased with us, that we can get back into God's good graces somehow by giving up chocolate or uh, giving up watching the Kardashians or something. We can, we can somehow be better people, and certainly 
we can become better people. That's right, Patrick. I know you watch Kardashians. Um, but that's not what Lent is really about, right? That's not what Lent is for. Lent is not about earning God's favor. It's, it's about bringing ourselves to the Lord, about returning into this relationship that God's given us with him, about submitting our whole lives to the Spirit of God. It's about letting the Holy Spirit expose this depth and breadth of our sin in our hearts. Psalm 32, uh, it's one of my favorite psalms, and it talks about the fact that, that those who are forgiven are the ones who are blessed. Blessed are those who are forgiven because their sins, it says, are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, in Lent, what we're saying is, God, I, I trust you. I trust you enough to stop pretending and putting up any kind of facades, anything between you and me. I'm going to stop pretending that everything's okay, that I'm okay, that the world is okay. It's not. Things are not okay. And there's parts of me that are not okay. And so there's this incredible, beautiful freedom in Lent to say that to the Lord, to come before the Lord as you really are vulnerable and powerless and in need of his forgiveness. And only when we come to that point can we really return to the Lord because only then can we really see our need for, for a father, for, for this father of mercy and for his grace, for, for his, his abounding steadfast love. Only then can we know that God's honest judgment of our sin is always followed by his embrace. That he never recoils from us. He never pushes away. He longs to draw us to himself. And so as we enter the season of Lent, we're making our way um, towards the most powerful and undeniable demonstration of that truth, of God's love for us, his desire to embrace us, and that's the cross. On the cross, we see both God's justice and his love. John Stott said, um, before we can see the cross as something that's been done for us, we must see it as something done by us. We must be prepared to own the guilt of the cross before we can share in the grace of the cross. And so as we journey towards the cross, as we come to the Jesus of the cross during Lent, we recognize that God himself took on flesh and he took hold of sin, the sin that we could never fully excise from our own hearts. And he took it on himself. He took it on himself at the cross. And by his death, sin died. The power of sin died. And death itself was defeated. And by his resurrection, we now have the promise that we can have life. We can have life in the name of Jesus. The way has been opened up, in other words, for you and for me to come to the Lord, to return to the Lord. And so we're going to continue in our worship in just a few moments, we're going to receive this sign of the cross with ashes on our forehead that, that is a powerful symbol that reminds us of this truth, of what's happened on the cross, that, that by Jesus' own death, death has been defeated. And that while we are mortal, uh, there's life beyond the grave because of the cross. So I want to just invite you to just bow your heads. And I want to give us just a few moments of silence.